Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast where we are exploring practical insight about anti-racism and social change. And joining me from uh <laughs> joining me from North Carolina is my co-host Alicia T. Crosby. How you doing, Alicia? I am doing great today. Hi, y'all. I am super excited about today's show. Yeah, I'm excited too. Today on the show, we have Damon Young, who is an author and writer. He writes for Very Smart Brothers and The Root, I believe. Um, Damon is one of my favorite writers because his writing is so witty and so funny. I love what he's doing with humor and talking about his own experience as a Black man and talking about Black issues. Uh, What are you excited about, Alicia? Um, the fact that we were able to get Damon in the first place. So I, <laughs> I have long followed Damon's work over at Very Smart, Bro- Very Smart Brothers. Um, he and Panama Jackson, who um is his his ace, his right hand over there. Um, they are brilliant and witty and are able to speak about like really challenging things that are happening in the world, but in a way that still leverages humor. Um, And that's something that you're definitely going to hear come out in this interview today. Damon is hilarious, but is also profoundly brilliant and insightful. And I have just personally been really, really grateful for his gifts, gifts to the world in his writing. Yeah, you know, so people don't know that you and I were supposed to be doing this interview together, but we had technical difficulties that day. And so it ended up just being he and I. Yeah. And the conversation just went a completely different way than I thought it would go, but like in a really great way. Like I love actually what we were able to get into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I appreciated hearing um Hearing where you were able to go, I was so sad, so sad, y'all. Let me tell you, I had all of the internet <laughs> issues that day. And when I tell you I was cussing at the sky and fighting the air because I didn't get a chance to, to partake in this interview. But I think that Andre and Damon got into some really good territory this week. I mean, we're talking about, you know, they talked about toxic masculinity. They talked about the flattening of identity, um, oh God, there's just so many things that were rich about this episode. I'm trying to think if there's like anything else that I need to like set you guys up for, or do I just let you be surprised? <laughs> well, why don't we just go ahead and let them hear? Uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with Damon Young. No, it doesn't have to be, oh, doesn't have to be this way, doesn't have to be. Hey, Damon. Hey, what's up? Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you for having me on, on this wonderful, beautiful Pittsburgh morning. Um, I know you are <laughs> not in Pittsburgh, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. But the sky is great. <laughs> it's raining. It's not really raining. It's like the drizzle that's like more like a foggy mist sort of thing. Um, street, mm. street cleaning mm-hmm. going on, so no one could park on one side of the street. This is a beautiful, amazing August <laughs> morning. I really wanted to interview you about your your new book, "What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker." Um, tell us about it. Yeah, so um, "What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker" is a memoir and essays. Uh, you know, I think there's what seventeen, seventeen different chapters, um, and each of them can stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um. By its by themselves, but it's a it's a memoir. Um, so there's some connectivity 
And, and it's basically just a dive into the angst, anxieties, um, and absurdities of existing while black in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the some of the book is is lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 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 humor in it. There's a lot of like jokes about food, about sex, about basketball, about myself, mm-hmm. um, and pretty much anything that I could, you know, pick fun at. But but it also um, has points where it gets very um, very dark, very serious. Mm. Um, and the book kind of just mails all that together to tell this story um, of a. Uh, you know, of a now 40 year old, you know, black American man just basically is getting comfortable in his own skin. Wow. At, at 40. Well, not necessarily at 40, but it's more of like a progressive thing. Like right. this isn't, this isn't a book where I, I present myself as like a fully formed person at 21 or even 31. Got you. Um, you know, there's a there's a very intentional like journey with with, with lots of dips and valleys in it, and because that you know that that's the story of my life. Yeah, and um, and, and again, I don't I don't think I'm done mm-hmm. either. I mean, I, obviously, I ho- hope I'm not done living, but I don't think I hope I'm not done evolving. Right. Um, either mm. I don't want to be one of those, um, you know, people who it, it, it reminds me of, um, like I went to my, my 20 year high school reunion, mm-hmm. um, a couple years ago and had a good time or whatever. Saw people I hadn't seen, hadn't seen in years. And there were some people there who still dressed like they were 18 years old, <laughs> but not like 18, but not 18 in 2019 and 2017, but 18 in 1997. <laughs> okay. And, wait, wait, wait. What did they have on? Well, I mean, that's like, that's like, you're still wearing a jersey, still wearing like the really baggy jeans. Oh, you're still, right. you know, fitted, you know the Tim's in the summertime. And I still rock Tim's too sometimes, but, <laughs> but the point is, is that I don't want to stay stagnant like that in terms of, and, and clothes are just, you know, a very superficial example of that, but in terms of like my politics or my sensibilities mm. or how I view myself or, or how I interact with the world. Like, I don't want to be one of those people who, 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 who just stops, who, who just stopped at 2005 mm. or who just stopped right. 2009 and like whichever politic you believe in, whichever, you know, whatever progressive you know however you know whichever way um society has progressed to that point that's when you just stop Mm. your politics haven't evolved the way you interact with people haven't evolved the way you see yourself hasn't evolved and Mm. again i i just um now at the same time i don't want to be a person who is changing you know doing 180s every year (laughs) right Um, yeah so you have, you know, what you've learned over the course of your life and you just, you just take bits and pieces as you go. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the best sort of evolution. Yeah. Um, yeah. While, while you're talking about identity and evolution, I wonder about how that has been for you in relating to your own blackness, you know, like, have you always felt 
like, I guess, woke, you know, how people would say it. I mean, I don't even know uh-huh. if you consider yourself that way. But yeah, what has that been? What has that journey been like for you in your life? What has been uh, a struggle, mm-hmm. and I talk about this in the book, is the intersection with the intersection of blackness and, and maleness and masculinity and, and, and hyper and a sort of hyper heterosexuality that black males, particularly black males who are athletes, uh-huh. are supposed to possess. Interesting. Or supposed to um, act out. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you know, I, I played basketball in high school and went to college on a basketball scholarship. So I was a, you know, I was a pretty, you know, popular and pretty well-known basketball player when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And with that comes certain expectations of the type of person you're supposed to be. Hmm. You know, how many women, how many girlfriends you're supposed to have, how many women you're supposed to sleep with, you know, how you're supposed to distreat um, women and and also how you're just supposed to interact with the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was never really me, like in terms of that that expectation. Interesting. But there were times when I filled the gap between my reality and that expectation with performance. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, when I talked earlier about getting comfortable in my own skin and that, and that journey, it, it really ties into that, 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 that idea of performance mm. of, of just recognizing one, recognizing that, that the performance was happening mm. and also just being at a place where it's like, you know, I just don't feel the same need to perform. Got you. Um, I'm just, this is who I am. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be Damon. And, you know, if people are fine with that, that's great. If they're not fine with that, then well, that, that's on them. Mm. And again, that, and even as I say that though, even as I recognize that performance and, and how, essential patriarchy is to to man making wow yeah for sure i still i still have investments in that i still there are still parts of me that that find it very difficult to let certain things go Mm. um and again when i when i was, was speaking about that evolution that's a part of that right right because you know, I, there are certain things I'll do, or certain things I say, or certain, certain ways I act. And, you know, I'll step back and it's like, you know, this isn't this, um, you're, you're still performing a little bit, not, not the same way you were when you were 22 or, or 16 or 24 or, or, or 29, but you still, you still are. Hmm. Wow. Where do you think that pressure to perform comes from in, in black communities specifically, well, I mean, it's a it's a combination uh-huh. of, of of things. I mean, first, you, you definitely have um, the socialization aspect of it, um, right. where you know, and, and you can't discount, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, just the just the prominence and the um, the impact and influence of patriarchy mm-hmm. of 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 just believing that you know, if you're a man then men are supposed to act a certain way. And if you're black, if you're a black man, then that just exaggerates mm. all of the, all of the perceived, you know, notions of masculinity. Um, it, 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 it takes them. It's almost like you take, um, 
you know, you take some, um, some, some, a, a, a glass of ginger ale, and then you add a pill of Alka Seltzer to it and just watch it bubble. <laughs> and yeah, and so all of those, all of those things come together. And, 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 you know, and, and also too, I mean, I think that when you're, when you're a young kid mm-hmm. and, you know, you observe and you watch and you see the sorts of men who are the most popular or are, you know, considered to be the leaders, considered to be the most dominant. And it doesn't always, you know, there's this idea that, you know, young black kids, they look at athletes and they look at, you know, they look at the athletes, they look at the, the entertainers as like, or, or the drug dealers as like the only people who, who, you know, are who you're supposed to aspire to, mm-hmm. supposed to aspire to be. And that isn't true, yeah. or, that, that, or that's an incomplete truth. But I think a, a fuller truth is that, you know, what young kids see are the men who are really dominant mm-hmm. or the men who have a lot of girls and have a lot of girls interested. Yeah. Um, um, or, or maybe just not, maybe not just a lot of girls interested in them, but have a lot of options. Yeah. Romantically. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's and that that right there is what's aspired to. That's that right there is what is like the, you know, the the, the goal and the benchmark. Mm. Um, and and again, you know, we we could talk all day about just how the 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 the, the myriad factors that that lead to that sort of yeah, construction for sure of you know uh, of of maleness of black maleness of black masculinity of heterosexuality mm. yeah. um but all of that just leads into you know just who a person who a young kid thinks they're supposed to be mm. wants to be mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. even and you know and as you get older you know you realize that 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 um that aspiration it's it's a fallacy mm-hmm. um but even as you recognize you know the the inconsistencies and the and uh i don't know just 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 the falseness mm. of it there are still parts of you that can still inspire still still beat still play along yeah with this still play along with this game for sure absolutely yeah um was there like a catalytic moment for you to kind of start that journey away from that type of performance not really Hmm. no i mean it's been just more of a of a more of a like just a continual like as I was saying earlier, continual progression with dips and valleys, but I can't think of like a, a like a singular moment yeah. where like a light bulb went off, mm-hmm. uh, went on, um, turned on. Um, yeah, I just can't. I just can't think of that. Yeah, you know, I was talking with another writer. I don't know if you know Austin Channing Brown the other day, and I, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah, and she she mentioned or she asked me, you know do I ever feel guilty sometimes as an artist, like as like, I'm not a part of like, you know, black liberation work or something like that. And my response to her was like, I mean, you totally are, 
But <laughs> but she made a distinction, you know, in the way that different writers approach their work. And she mentioned James Baldwin and stuff like that. And it made me want to ask you, like, what is your relationship to the idea of activism and Black liberation work? How do you uh, perceive yourself in relation to that kind of movement work? Um... So I'm I'm from Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. live in Pittsburgh and I'm often asked to speak on panels concerning activism mm-hmm. and people and this is usually white people will, will refer to me as an activist because mm-hmm. of some of the things I write about mm-hmm. and I, I make sure to correct them mm. um, and and just let them know that you know an activist is a is a is a vocation. It's it's an occupation mm-hmm. for, for some people, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's a. I am not that, you know. Now yeah. there may be some activist minded, activist friendly concepts, mm-hmm. and, and 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 how I think and what I write about, what I produce, what I talk about. Being an activist is a you know is a full time job. Yeah, and it's almost like, and it feels like I might be being like overly pedantic right now. <laughs> Um, when, when making that distinction, but it kind of reminds me of like when people like maybe refer to me as a reporter and it's like, I don't do that. That's not, that's a completely different job. Right. And there may be a reportage with some of the stuff that I do, but I'm not, I didn't go to J school. Like I'm not a reporter. Mm. I I write, I write, you know, I write opinion pieces. I write essays, Mm -hmm. writer. Yeah. Um, and, and so with that said, I, um, I think that for a person like me, mm-hmm. my role is to amplify yeah. the voices that, you know, that, 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 that there are activists, mm-hmm. you know, just to be mindful of my own place in my own existence. Mm my own privilege yeah um and not just be mindful of it but to but to use it use it for you know use it to its advantage yeah you know help you know okay so you're a man and you know maybe someone might take me saying this me talking about street harassment more seriously Mm. than if it were coming from a woman yeah who, you know, even though that's 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 fucking bullshit, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So again, I, I think that um, my role, you know, is just to be as aware of my of of, of who I am, mm. to be self aware, and yeah. again to use whichever privileges I have uh, for the greater good. Don't I, I'm you know, and I think. You know, I talk to white people about this when I when I do talk to white people. Um, <laughs> when I do talk to white people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and some of them, are, you know, get this real like pitiful like sensibility and and response to any sort of conversation about their privilege. Like, you know, I feel mm. so bad for being white, and this is I just wanted to scrub the whiteness off of my skin. I want oh. to I want to take like a, a one a cheese greater and just you know, <laughs> down until it's you know it's like man stop just stop put the cheese grater away <laughs> and 
don't apologize for being white. Don't apologize for being rich. Don't apologize for being a man. Don't apologize for being straight. Don't mm-hmm. apologize for being Christian. Um, don't apologize for being able-bodied. Yeah, And use those gifts, those privileges to help other people out. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, do you ever face criticism or pressure for your comedic work and the way that you use humor to talk about the black experience? You know, like while we talk about activism, I'm reminded of this guy who like went off on me on Twitter one day for like posting memes. Cause I like to, I like to <laughs> post memes. Like when white people say like dumb stuff about race, I like to like post gifts and uh-huh. stuff like that to respond. And he was like, you out here making jokes. And so I just responded by like, posting all the pictures of black civil rights leaders I could find smiling like any any clip of like Malcolm X laughing or Dr. King tells a joke like that's what I did so anyway I guess what I'm saying is I think some people think of like okay you're a black man with influence people do you know sometimes want to put you in the activist box and they so then people might put pressure on you from time to time to be like hey like why aren't you doing the serious business of like you know trying to, I don't know, start a revolution or something. Trying to figure out how to answer that question. I, <laughs> I do, I, I have received some, um, some criticism and I'm not even necessarily going to call it like criticism mm-hmm. sometimes has like this negative connotation of like a person who wants you to do something differently or thinks you're do, doing something wrong. Right. And I, um, I, I have received some of that mm-hmm. in this context. But what I'm speaking of now is more observation, observational in nature, gotcha. where someone is like, well, I kind of anticipated your work to be this way, mm. but it's actually this other way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was ready for that. Yeah. Um, like I even, um, I've even received some of that because, um, from the book where I've, I've read some reviews and I've even spoken to people who um, were surprised and even uh, maybe even taken aback a bit by, by the amount of humor in the book. And they were, and, and like I, I actually one review where a person even admitted, even admitting, even admitted to like laughing out loud at some of the <laughs> stuff in the book, but, but actually preferred that the book didn't have as much of it. Do they know you though? And that's my response. <laughs> it's like if you've been following my work for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, then that's 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 an essential part of, of who I am. Right. Um and, and I think that sort of commentary often comes from the people who are familiar with me, but are from are but their familiarity is from like me writing the piece, you know, straight black men or the white people, black people. Mm-hmm. Or Pieces along pieces along those sorts of lines, uh, and, right. and they think of me in that context, and don't mm. even bother reading or or, or or seeing the other you know pieces that I do. And most of the pieces I do, you know, even the ones that that tackle larger and more difficult and more sober topics, do have humor. Right? You know? Yeah, of course. Um, and. And yeah, and, and I think also that humor is devalued. Yes. Um, and not just not not just with us, but I think just a general cultural thing. I mean, when was the last time 
this is, you know, just, just switching mediums. But when was the last time a comedy, a straight comedy, won the Oscar for Best Picture? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there are movies that have comedic elements that, that have done that. Right. But, you know, things that are more dramatic, things that are, that are more overtly thrilling, things that are more overtly vulnerable. Um, tend to get, you know, the 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 the, the more the 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 the, the heavier critical lives, mm-hmm. um, and 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 also the idea that it's it's tougher to make that sort of thing. It's tougher to create a thing that is that that goes that goes that deeply and it's and it's so serious and so sober mm-hmm. and it's meant to be taken seriously. Yeah, and. I, just, I, I believe it's just as hard to make someone laugh mm-hmm. with writing. Yeah. It's just difficult. Yeah. And, 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 and to make someone laugh and also you're saying a thing that, that makes sense. Yes. That, that is addressing a, 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 you know, a larger, you know, a larger conversation that is, that is, you know, examining privilege, that is examining structures that that's, that's deconstructing, you know, culture, and you're able to do this and also make people laugh. You know, I um, I don't know. So I I, I do believe that humor just is looked at as a lesser form of content, mm. which is you know why you know you were saying earlier about a person being mad about you um, you having the the funny memes instead of just being you know so serious and sober all of the time. Yeah, I think that there's also a value. There's also a um a political value in humor. Like humor yeah. is a valuable form of resistance. Absolutely, you know, and, and being able to to articulate things in a way that examines systems, being able to make fun mm-hmm. of the people in power to to create satire, to parody them. Yeah. You know, all of that is necessary. All of that is, it's, it's, it's extremely valuable. Yeah. Could you talk more about it being necessary? I think that's such an interesting way to phrase it. And I, I just want to dig down in there. What are you thinking when you say necessary? Well, I think that, you know, when you, it, <laughs> all right. So you know how, you know, um, the poor pig, I mean, every part of the pig is eaten. <laughs> Like there's there's no part of the pig that that this goes you know that is just thrown away. I mm-hmm. mean, their in their skin, their feet, their noses, their intestines, like every part. Mm-hmm. And this is a very awkward analogy that I'm not sure is even going to work. But <laughs> let's do it. Let's that, go. But I, I believe that if we want to like like fight and mm-hmm. resist mm-hmm. and 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 transform, then we need to use all parts of ourselves mm, got it to do that mm-hmm. and now there there are people who maybe don't have the same comedic chops and and or maybe people who believe that the way for them to fight or the way for them to resist you know just needs just needs to be more sober it needs to be serious all the time it needs mm-hmm. to be kind of kind of you know centered in outrage yeah mm-hmm. that's fine if that's if that's who you are right but for a person like me and a person like you and I guess other people, we need we can't turn off that that humor faucet because that's where 
you know, a lot of the, 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 the most valuable and the most powerful um, critiques mm-hmm. bring from. Right, right. And for me to not be funny, that's just, that's just, it, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to age myself, but, you know, I, one of my favorite games with Nintendo is Contra, and you had all these different weapons. And, you know, it, it's like me not being able to use humor. It's like me not being able to use, like, three of my favorite weapons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying about how there's this political value in humor. And it makes me think of what's going on in comedy right now. Like, these specials, like Hannah Gatsby's and Annette or Hassan Minhaj. Um, I can't remember what the name of his Netflix special was. But, like... I just imagine, like, if Hassan Minhaj had made, like, a really serious documentary about growing up in a Muslim family, um, there'd, be, there'd be an audience for it, but it probably wouldn't have been the same audience or as wide. You know, it's like a way that we're able to engage politically without becoming completely exhausted, you know? And I really appreciate that. And I thought about this other, um, I don't know if you watched Last Week Tonight, but... Um, Okay, so the the whole piece they just recently did on the authoritarian president, I can't remember his name. It's such a long, I almost said funny, but that is like super like. <laughs> I, didn't, so I didn't see the most recent one. Okay. I didn't see the most recent one. No. So I can't remember exactly where he is, but he was just showing like this authoritarian leader that like there was like a meeting he had, I guess, with a bunch of diplomats and he brought in like a gold bar, like like what you would be uh-huh. weightlifting with, but there were no weights on it. And he just lifted it up and everybody clapped, like forced applause kind of deal. Uh-huh. And it's like, this is the way that a lot of oppressive regimes and systems work. It's like one of the things that they want to crush is joy and humor. Like they don't want people to laugh, mm-hmm. especially not at the leader. So that in itself, I think, is like something that is telling us like how powerful this thing is, you know? I, I, that's, that's, that's 100%, 100% right. I mean, you know, um, when a group of people is colonized mm-hmm. or occupied or, or whatever, you know, language is usually like the first victim. Mm. Um, it's like, okay, this is what you're going to call yourselves now. Yeah. Um, this is, this is, this is how you're going to speak. Um, you can't, you can't use the language that you've been using. Mm. Um, we're going to, we we are maybe going to teach you how to read and write, or maybe not. Mm. Maybe we're going to criminalize education. Mm. Maybe we're going to change the books that you read and change the content that you consume, or limit the content that you consume. Mm-hmm. And suppressing humor is a is is a is a large part of that. Um, and and suppressing joy and and just suppressing the ability to. I don't know, you know, to to assess and to critically assess and 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 articulate those critical assessments allow. Mm. Again, that that is a viable method of of suppression and that's what, you know, that's what totalitarian regimes attempt to do. Yeah. So what do you think about the idea cuz this is just making me think about <laughs> I, I I get nervous to say things about white people because I know like how sensitive white people could be when we're talking about race. But your comments just make me think about like there might be a need for black people to laugh at white supremacy 
and what do you think about laughing at white people? Because I feel like a part of your work does help us to do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, and I, yeah, you, you got to laugh sometimes. I mean, you know, when, you know, when Susan puts raisins in the potato salad at the company potluck, you know, and Susan, you know, Susan has tried very hard. You know, she looked up, she Googled this potato salad recipe. <laughs> she was very proud of it. And I think that, you know, maybe, you know, it, it, it's, it's mean to like laugh at Susan. <laughs> but when you get back home and you're talking to your wife or your husband or your partner or your friends or whatever, and and you're talking about your day at work, then yeah, it's it's perfectly fine to be able to, to poke fun at at the shit Susan does with her potato salad. <laughs> and also, you know, other things that white people may say or do. Like, I, I think that, again, that's a... And that that right there isn't necessarily an overt form of resistance. That That's more center and catharsis. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where you're just able to, you know, to finally let go. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, and for most of us, you know, most of us who work, work in spaces that are, that are either owned by white people or ran by white right, people. Right. And so we leave the house um, and we go into a very white corporate space mm-hmm. where, you know, many of us in order to keep our jobs have to, have to flatten some parts of our of our identity in order to stay employable right and and so you know once you get in a safer space once you get in your car once you get in your home once you get at, at, at a cookout or at a barbershop beauty salon whatever then yeah it's 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 valuable it's it's cathartic it's it's a, it's a form of self-care sometimes yeah. and you know i'm i'm fortunate enough privileged enough where i have a space where i I can do that in public mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, um, the danger with that, though, is that you don't want to be a person where that's all you talk about. Right. That's all you talk mm-hmm. about. That's all, like your whole, your whole sensibility is, is centered around making, picking fun at, at what white people do or don't right. do. And, you know, there's just a lot more to life than that. Yeah. That is a part of life. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, you know, and it is, and it's fun sometimes. <laughs> and, and I, and I think that, you know, to do this, you know, and sometimes, you know, a white person, there, there, there might be some white people hear this conversation yeah. or hear conversations mm-hmm. like this and like, well, you know, what if you, what if a white person, you know, pick one? <laughs> I was just about to ask and, you that. And it's like, well, you you do. We'll, we'll say, you, you do that mm-hmm. already, right? So we'll just right. that. but that a question like that just has a fundamental uh, misunderstanding and probably an intentional misunderstanding of how of how power and privilege mm. works. And so, black people can make fun of our. Or can make fun of white people in a way that white people can't make fun of black people. Mm-hmm. Women can make fun of men in a way that men can't make fun of women. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and the thing is, men still make fun of women. Yeah, white people still make fun of black yeah. people, but it's more socially acceptable yeah. 
for 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 the people who are considered to be more vulnerable yeah. to 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 punch up right right um and however punching up looks in some ways it's like our only way to resist sometimes or you know what i mean like as you're saying it it's like i want to reflect back to you like like yeah man i get what you're saying right and articulate it but i can't <laughs> like the it's gonna get stuck in my head so i wonder like and yeah and, and you know and, and just to your point really quick it's like well okay well do you want to make the jokes then okay well you know what why don't we flip everything mm-hmm. put up make us make us the ones in power mm-hmm. make us the ones with all the privilege and then and then you can make all the jokes you want to make <laughs> you can have entire bits do stand up you know do whatever just devoted to I, if, if if you want to go there then let's let's flip everything mm. around mm. no i love that i love that well, i know we're running low on time and i feel like there's so much more we could talk about especially i mean as we're as we're talking, it's coming back to me, you know, we, we talked a bit about black masculinity and I think I'd love to have that conversation um, in the future with you, um, especially because of your article about black men being the white people of black people. Did I get that title right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get it wrong too. I, I always like white straight black men are the Chinese way. Are the I, 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 I always mess it up. I never get it right the first yeah. time. Whenever I'm saying it. Yeah. Right. So I'd yeah. I'd love to return to that sometime in the future. But uh for now I'd like to ask you um about what keeps you or what are you what are you excited about, hopeful about right now? Like what what eases your mind with all that's going on in our world at the present moment? Um, my family, my yeah. kids. Um you know, um my friends and family, um, and, and also, you know, having the privilege to be able to to create. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I won't always have it, you know, but I have it yeah. now, and that's a thing I'm extremely, extremely, extremely grateful for 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 opportunities for 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 interests, and also the space to 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 get better. Um, and I, I just hope that I don't take it for granted. Yeah. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show, Damon. It was such a pleasure getting to know you a bit and to talk about your work. I look forward to talking in the future. Oh, no doubt. Thanks for having me. No, it doesn't have to be. Oh, doesn't have to be this way. Doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be this way. Oh my gosh, Dre, <laughs> that was great. But circling back to the bit that you were saying about like humor, like I, I really dug that bit too, um, specifically mm-hmm. because like yes, like Damon definitely mentioned like racial, um, like racial discourse and like how like those the power needed to be inverted. But he talked about gender too, and I think it's an important mm-hmm. thing for us to think about, like whenever there's like a culture or a an identity that's like held. In a, in a place where people are privileged, like there is mm-hmm. something good and necessary of people who've been maligned and marginalized, like being able to laugh. Like mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. laughter. We need yeah. humor. We need sarcasm. We need to like respond 
to the oppression with something other than like constant anger. I mean, I think anger has its place. Rage has its place for sure. But sometimes like laughing, (laughs) laughing at, laughing (laughs) alongside, (laughs) Um, but -hmm. also just laughing at people is necessary. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's like, it's like releasing, like, what do you call it? It's like turning a a valve and like to let off some of that Mm, steam. Like you just, you've just got to laugh because shit is really difficult sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And so right now what's playing in my head is, are these images of black people, you know, over a century ago doing the Lindy hop, you know, Mm. and you know, they invented the Lindy hop to make fun of how white people dance. Are you serious? (laughs) I did not know that. I did not know that. Yes. (laughs) you know there is something that is self-preserving about being able to respond to an anti-black world in that way to laugh at Mm. it and so i think there's so much power in it absolutely i mean what i love is damon like made this statement that really popped at me because it was looking at humor as being part of a whole. And he made this like really interesting mm-hmm. analogy around a pig and what it meant to use its all its parts. Um, but he said, mm-hmm. if we want to fight and resist and transform, we have to use all parts of ourselves. And so, mm-hmm. you know, humor for some people is a really easy thing to access. Um, but I'm interested yes. in knowing um, from you, Dre, and from you listeners, what parts of yourself are easy to access and leverage in movement work? Mm. Mm. Are you asking me right now? Mm. <laughs> um, okay, so one thing about me is that I've always had a smart mouth and I've always been a witty person. And for a long time, that was something that actually was kind of like a liability in relationships, right? Like people really? would be like, Andre, you're so snappy. Yeah, you're so snappy and you're so, you know, you're so sarcastic and da-da-da-da-da. But then, like, when I started talking about justice and I made started making hard pill memes every day, like, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, like, this is, this is why or this is something. It's a gift. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I started to understand it more as like, oh, that's something that is just kind of I'm just naturally wired to do that. And so for me, like, that's something that is really accessible. Mm-hmm. I dig that. I dig that. What about you? I wish, <laughs> um, in terms of things that are easy for me to bring forward, um, yes, I think maybe empathy. Um, mm. A much better quality than my sarcasm. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't about what's better than Dre. Um, but, <laughs> but like, no, like I think, you know, that just kind of generally I'm an empathetic person. Like I'm very much a feeler. Like I feel a lot. Yes. Like, you could talk to like my, my girlfriend and see just how much I cry. It's a whole lot. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel things very deeply. And like, and that empathy has like lent itself to me being able to like perceive and like, and just pick up on like what folks are going through, like in a space where I'm in. So I'm very um, Mm -hmm. attentive to things like body language and nonverbals, as well as like what is said and like, you know, the ways in which it's said in order to help make space more welcoming and more inclusive and equitable for people. I mean, it's what I do for a living. I mean, so like y'all know that I do this podcast, but I also still do diversity, equity and inclusion consulting work. And that empathy Mm -hmm. that like, 
that I have a whole lot of like helps me do that work. Um, I think maybe, you know, more effectively than I would if I didn't have like that gift. Yeah. But I think on the same, at the same time, when we talk about things that are easy for us to access, there are also some things that are more challenging for us to bring forward. So Dre, I will pose this to the listeners, but also to you to answer right now. Um, Okay. (laughs) What, you know, what parts of yourself, what parts of your personality are more challenging to bring forward in movement work? So sarcasm is easy, but like what parts of you that are more challenging to, to, to let show up? Oh, that is a really great question. I think I need to think some more about that. Mm-hmm. That's like reflection time. Mm-hmm. Thing. What parts are harder for me to bring forward? Or maybe that you have to suppress. You can also like throw that spin that on it. Mm-hmm. You know what? Like, I think that honestly, like, I hate upsetting people. Which is, I think, might be surprising for some people because I do it, like, every day online. But I really do hate upsetting people. And so sometimes, like, my genuine frustration or my resentment and stuff like that Mm -hmm. is hard for me to both, like, integrate. It's a challenge for me to integrate and to understand that, like, it's reasonable for me to be angry, Mm -hmm. you know. But also to be honest about those times where I'm just like, you know what, today I'm just mad. (laughs) <laughs> and today I don't feel uh, I don't feel the hope that I'm so known for, you know, mm. um, because I don't always know how to present that in a way that won't be contagious. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't I don't want for someone to feel like, well, if Andre's not feeling hopeful, then how can I right now? You know, which is not a fair burden to put on <laughs> oneself, but. I think that that is a message about leadership that a lot of us have gotten as we've grown. And so sometimes it is difficult for me to just be like, sometimes I'm an angry black man, you know, mm-hmm. and to feel comfortable being angry and to know that it's reasonable for me to be angry is difficult. Yeah. That resonates. I mean, I think that I would say that's also challenging for me to bring to my work. Not so much, you know, the the not having hope because I'm pretty, I try to be really honest in like in my work and my writing and my speaking about like the things that I struggle with, but I don't under, I don't think people really know how angry I am a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's because it's not because like I, I don't believe in anger. Like I actually think that it, anger is powerful and it's good and it's, it lets us know that something's wrong in the world. Like when we're angry, like it's, it's in response to something. Um, yeah. But I think the thing that I have to like, that I work to keep, I don't know if it's like that I work to like kind of keep in check or if I'm just mindful of how I let my anger out. Like I know that my anger could be caustic if I let it be. Um, yes. My tongue is a mm. lot sharper, I think, than people who recognize because I try to be charitable mm-hmm. in the things that I say. But like, yeah. I don't even want to say deep down because it really isn't that deep. I know that I'm an asshole. And like <laughs> and I know this is like kind of the flip flop side of the em- empathy, right? Like in being able to see things that like, you know, people like care about and how they're moved by it. It's like, you also know what people's weak spots are. So like, uh-huh. I know that that's like a uh-huh. thing that I have to keep in check. And so I'm very careful about how I vent my anger in spaces because if I'm like all the way mad, then those, that buffer, those um, filters that like help, you know, 
healing and hope come forward um, Mm -hmm. might not be present. So I'm very, very careful about how I let my anger like enter into spaces that I'm a part of, especially if they're related to movement building. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, another thing that was really interested in this episode and the the bit about toxic masculinity definitely plays into this is how um, our identities can get challenged. And so Mm -hmm. on the top of the interview, I remember Damon sharing that he managed to avoid um, people challenging his blackness per se, but he had people Mm -hmm. challenge his um, manifestation of black masculinity. And, Mm -hmm. And specifically he, he described this as being like, he pushed back at being like hyper masculine and just like in the way that he like, you know, conducted himself and how he lives his life. And so I'm wondering like what feeds into assumptions of how we're supposed to interact with the world, right? Whether it's like hyper masculinity or femininity or, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who's definitely had their blackness challenged. Like what feeds into these assumptions that we are supposed to, to be a certain way. Mm. Yeah. It actually like, honestly encouraged me a little bit to hear that Damon's blackness wasn't challenged Mm. because I don't know if I've ever heard that from another black person before, Mm -hmm. regardless of like where they're coming from. I remember a couple of years ago, um, having been in a, I think I was like at a conference or something like that. And we get broken off into racial caucus in spaces. Mm-hmm. And I remember the thing, one of the things that stood out most for me in that convening is that every single one of us who identified as black, regardless of where we came from in the world, you know, where we came from in the country, all of us have had our blackness challenged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody at some point has, you know, had that, in that, in that group had the experience at one point in time of someone saying, oh, well, you're acting white or this isn't something that black people do. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, but this is my manifestation of blackness. So you can kick rocks. (laughs) But we also are going to leave you with a gift. Andre, would you like to explain what that gift is? Yeah. So like I said, in our last episode, it is cuffing season and this has nothing to do with social change whatsoever. Um, But it's just... It's just fun. So I share some hidden tracks that I have on the internet during cuffing season. And last week I shared my cover of Sam Smith's Latch. And this week we're going to share my cover of Marvin Gaye's I Want You, which is one of my favorite Marvin Gaye songs ever. Um, um, you if you sing this it, yes, I was about to say, <laughs> y'all listen to this cover. Like, <laughs> I heard Andre sing this live. And let me just tell you, I didn't know what to do with my life afterwards. <laughs> so you're going to be better for this. So again, we're so we're so grateful to have you guys listen to the show. I hope that you enjoyed this song. And then uh, Ross will tell you about how you can keep in touch and all that kind of stuff after we play a little sample for you. Y'all have a good one. Take care.
Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts also helps us get into more ears and minds. This podcast is made possible by our fantastic patrons. Thank you for being a part of our work at Hope and Hard Pills. As usual, you'll get the uncut extended version of this episode on Patreon. If you want to join in on the work on our Patreon community, just look us up at patreon.com slash Andre Henry. To go deeper, get subscribed to our email newsletter. Head over to andrerhenry.com and click join the movement where you'll get practical insight on anti-racism and social change every week. And you'll never miss a new article, song, or podcast episode. You can also follow Andre Henry on Facebook and Instagram at TheAndreHenry. Connect with Alicia on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alicia T. Crosby and her website, AliciaTCrosby.com. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. See you next time. Peace. Peace.